Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks very much for listening to episode 12 of Impact Boom. My name is Tom Allen. I'm the director of 7 Positive and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Ruben Walker, the CEO and business development lead of Africa Clean Energy. Ruben and his team are trying to do something about the 4.3 million deaths every year from the effects of household air pollution, which is more than AIDS, malaria and tuberculosis combined. Africa Clean Energy provides clean cooking and renewable energy through the manufacture and distribution of the ACE-1 solar biomass cookstove throughout southern and eastern Africa. According to Ruben, the ACE-1 has the power to save millions of lives, alleviate financial and energy poverty, and slow deforestation. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Ruben's journey in setting up ACE and what led him to working in the field. We'll get Ruben's insights and thoughts on the challenges of running a global operation of this sort. And along the way, Ruben will share his thoughts on the problems he believes can be turned into opportunities with social innovation. Ruben, it's been a huge week for you guys after winning the Shivas Venture Pitch in Amsterdam. So thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Great. So Ruben, just to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into founding African Clean Energy? I'm an environmental engineer. I studied in, in uh, Australia at Monash University in Melbourne. Um, I, right after I graduated, I moved to the Netherlands, um, yep. where uh, I was only really supposed to be here for three months to get to know the company that I was then working for. Mm. But plans changed a little, and, and um, things went well, and I eventually stayed, and I'm still here. Um, so in 2009, I set up a company. Uh, which specialised in, in bamboo flooring mm, okay. and bamboo furniture. Yep. Within the Netherlands you did that? That was in the Netherlands. Yep. And I, at the time I was still working at the, uh, the, the company my employer. Um, and I left that company uh, in 2010. It was mm-hmm. a really fun time there. When I joined that company there were 11 people. When I left there was wow. about 120. Wow. So it grew nicely and gave me a taste for, for entrepreneurship. Mm. And so running the bamboo company for a couple of years this opportunity popped up. Um, my parents were living in Southern Africa at the time. Yep. And, you know, we vision, you know, saw this, this giant problem mm. um, of in an indoor house, uh, household air pollution. Yep. And thought that we could do something about it. So in 2011, we, my father and I uh, set up African Clean Energy. Yep. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really interesting time. It's, um, it's, it's developed into something very interesting, I, I like to think. Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, right in front of us on the table here, we have this Ace One cook stove, and it's got a bright and colourful base. It looks like it would heat things up pretty quickly. So tell us more about what these cookers are, what they do, and how they're solving this problem. Right, so the, 
A lot of the problem uh, stems from the fact that people's energy choices are very, very poor. A lot of people literally drag in wood from, from outside and mm. light it on fire, a sort of open campfire style, which obviously causes a huge amount of smoke. Yep. Uh, other people are forced to buy very expensive charcoal, which is also you know, terrible for the environment and its production process, mm. or things like paraffin, kerosene. Yep. Um, so what we have here is a stove that can burn a lot of the fuels that people have right now, but mm. do it uh, with a complete combustion, meaning that uh, some of the negative side effects of, of, of smoke and, and uh, a lot of the inefficiencies are eliminated. Um, biomass in itself is not a terrible fuel, it's just mm. if you burn it in an open fire, it's, it's very, very harmful for a number of reasons. Sure. The way it works, what we've got here is, is a, a combustion chamber which is built up out of uh, ceramic refractories, mm -hmm. uh, similar to a, to a glass oven. And underneath the combustion chamber there's a ventilator which blows air continuously through specifically placed holes in the chamber, yep. uh, which drives up the fire. So there's holes at the bottom which really uh, power up the fire, mm -hmm. make it hotter and hotter and hotter, um, until what starts to happen is gasification, biomass gasification, essentially the biomass, you know, the, the, the temperature gets so hot, um, there's suddenly a shortage of uh, oxygen, which is a normal physical process that mm -hmm. we've known about for, for centuries, yep. um, but which enables gasification, the biomass gas floats to the top of the chamber where it meets the air coming out of the secondary burner mm -hmm. and just like with a gas flame you've got no smoke. It's an impressive design. Did you guys design this from scratch or how, how did you come about to this specific solution? This model we, we designed from scratch. I mean the concept of blowing air into the fire isn't completely new so yeah. uh, there were some, some things to work off. The package that we have here makes it very, very appropriate technology mm -hmm. for, for, the, for our customers, our target demographic. Yep. As a, you know, we've got the, the ventilator in, in there, so we need a source of power. Now, a few years ago, that would have been a massive problem. Mm -hmm. These days, battery technology is really advancing quickly. And what we've done is we've taken what we think is the best technology at the moment, which is lithium ferrophosphate, and put a fairly chunky battery inside the base. And then there's a separate little solar panel right here, which you can use to charge that battery. Um, and so you basically take a household off-grid, mm. and because you've got that combination of the battery and the solar panel, um, we can put these little auxiliary ports on, the, the, the plug for the LED lamp, so you've got lighting for free. And we've got a USB port, which everyone gets really excited about these days because everybody owns a mobile phone mm. and nobody can charge it at home. And it's a massive source of frustration. Yeah. So it's, you know, it creates a lot of excitement. Yeah, excellent. And in terms of setting up African Clean Energy, what were some of the challenges that you guys came up against in doing that? Well, there was a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there were. I mean, obviously funding is, 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 is a difficult one. Yeah. Fortunately, so my father and I, set this up and my father was an expert at setting up factories mostly in, in difficult environments. Yep. So that's a nice bonus to, to mm. have a startup team. Absolutely. Um, so once we started getting a little bit of the funding going we could we could get started and we could uh, put out some products and mm. the response we received back in, in late 2012 when the first products rolled off the production line were super positive. Mm. Um, in fact we were outstripping our production capacity with, wow. with sales, and so that you know, made it easier to, to continue. Well, we, we did learn actually though is that there was a little bit of luck involved 
in getting some of our early larger orders. Yep. Um, because when we started, we assumed a little bit, and I would say slightly incorrectly, that if you, you know, if you're tackling a problem like this and you make the best product on the planet, mm. that the buyers will come to you. And that happened a little bit in the beginning, which fooled us into thinking that this was going to be easier than it uh, than it is. Mm. But there aren't really a lot of companies that specialize in, in selling a product of this price category to your sort of two dollar a day type customer. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, we're looking at a product that costs upwards of 100, 120 dollars depending mm. on what markets and what taxes etc. Yep. And so our customers can't really afford that. So we had a, we had a few uh, big project based buyers initially but when that started to run out um, we decided that we had to do more in, in terms of our own internal distribution strategy. Mm -hmm. So what we started doing is hiring our own salespeople and bringing in uh, the capacity to do microfinance. Mm. Something that we we believe really makes microfinance a lot easier is, is mobile mobile money. Okay. Uh, yeah. Funnily enough, a lot of microfinance providers don't actually have that integrated mm -hmm. yet. So a lot of microfinance is done by people physically going around villages and collecting money. Yeah. Which is very expensive, and if you, you know, if you have to make enough of a margin on your microfinance program that you can afford to do that, mm -hmm. then you kind of need either a more expensive product, yeah. even than hundred dollars. That's why most microfinances, you know, on solar home systems, which yeah. are significantly more expensive than mm -hmm. than on a stove. So we, uh, yeah, we start bringing in that, and, and and that's been very encouraging, and that's something that we believe will be uh, part and parcel of our. Have you, have you partnered with any specific company that does that? Well, initially what we've done is we've partnered with Kiva, mm -hmm. the lending platform from, from the US, yep. for the capital. So we, we do all the, the groundwork, we've got our salespeople selling the product and yep. we've also got them explaining it to the customer and how they do their repayments and if mm -hmm. they don't have mobile money then we, we help them set that up for themselves. Yep. And um, you know, if payments are late we, we, we go to them. And Ask them, you know, can, could you make payments on that yeah. uh, as per our agreement? And uh, what Kiva does is provides the capital through through crowdfunding. And then mm. As soon as our customers pay us back, we pay Kiva back. And so that's that's been a way for us to to roll that out with you know limited risk and mm. and, uh, and it's, yeah, we're very happy with how that's going. Yeah, excellent. And you've set up office here at the Impact Hub in Amsterdam. And we're sitting in a room here which is surrounded by glass walls and windows and there's lots of activity and people walking by and, uh, and some really interesting enterprises working out of this space. So, I mean, being based here and running this operation on a daily basis, what are the key sort of tools that you use that just make your life easier that you couldn't live without? We, I mean, communication is, is, is a really big one. So we, obviously we've got our factory in Lesotho, we've got our distribution teams in mm. Lesotho now we've also rolled out to, to Uganda in East yeah. Africa and to Cambodia in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, so uh, WhatsApp calls have, have really changed my life. Mm. Uh, I mean Skype was good before but you still had to have someone who was actually on, online or, yeah. or you know, using it properly whereas WhatsApp makes it all just slightly easier. Yeah. Because you're working across different time barriers as well. Exactly. Mm. The mornings were very important because in Cambodia they're still working then, whereas in the afternoon they've, they've all gone home. And yeah. So you're mainly dealing with Africa. I mean, that's a big one. 
you know, Google Docs have been very important to us as well. Uh, but we're now at the stage where we're starting to professionalize that a little bit. So, yeah. Upping our capacity. Yeah, excellent. And I mean, in terms of the local communities, you've spoken about having people on the ground there. What role do the local communities have in African clean energy? Well, one of the reasons why we, you know, we, we have our factory in Africa is that we feel it's very important that you, you, you bring your target group into the process of uh, both you know, uh, manufacturing and, and selling yep. the product. It fosters a lot of understanding and, 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 and goodwill. Yeah, uh, which of course is, is important to us. Um, you know, one of the things that Africa needs most is good paying jobs, mm. uh, steady jobs. And that's something we can provide and that's something that we're very proud of. And, you know, something we really want to continue doing. Excellent. And in the Netherlands, I mean, there's a really interesting scene here from an outside perspective, um, you know, in terms of social innovation. Are there any inspirational initiatives which you believe are really converting other social and, and environmental problems into opportunities? That's a good question. I, there are, there's a lot, um, but a lot of them are still very much in their sort of stage of infancy. Mm. And that's, you know, that's something that's it's sad. It, I, you know, I, I wish that there would be a lot more growth in the, in the field because yeah. I think that the potential is enormous and not just in terms of impact but also in terms mm. of simple just being a successful company and financial success. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a little worried that that's not always you know, appreciated by, by all stakeholders, mm. including investors. We've had to go abroad as well to, to pick up some investment money. Mm. Although there, there is a notable exception. Yeah. So in terms of getting funding or people who are starting these initiatives within Holland or within Europe, are there any specific programs or initiatives that are really helping uh, social enterprise get off the ground? Yeah, I think there's a lot of them. I think that the question is which ones are worth doing and which ones aren't. Um, I know there's a couple in the Impact Hub, which for noises I've heard are very good. Yep. We ourselves, uh, my, my fellow director, sister, uh, Judith, did the GSBI at Santa Clara University in, in uh, California, mm. which really was very transformative and I think has, mm. has, has made a big difference. Um, and we're about to, because of the venture uh, competition that we won last week yeah. that you mentioned, we will be taking part in uh, a program in Oxford run by the Skoll Foundation. Excellent. Um, very, well, very well known foundation. Yes, so I think the you know, at an international level, there definitely are very, very good ones. Mm. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um, and uh, in the Netherlands, uh, yeah, there's several, and I'm sure some of them are good. Mm. We, we haven't taken, uh, been a part of any of them. Yep. So I can't really claim any first-hand knowledge. Sure. And failing. I mean, we all do it. I'm sure you've, you've done it a few times as well. What do you believe are some of the key reasons that social entrepreneurs in this sort of climate fail? It's it's a very difficult climate. I mean, there's you know there's a, a hundred reasons we could have failed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just by virtue of our family structure and the fact that we have certain talents and, and uh, uh, stick it out in yeah. difficult situations. You know, has taken us to situations where that I think would have been quite difficult um, mm -hmm. in in a different type of uh, startup team. Sure. Um, so, I mean, running out of money, uh, you know, having 
people within your your, your team trying to cheat you out of things or, mm. or theft or you know things that are a little depressing when you're having a bad day and, yeah. and then something like that happens. I, mm. I think for a, for a lot of uh, for a lot of budding companies that could you know be a death knell. In terms of founding a, a strong sort of founding team that, that get along and, and share the same purpose and vision and, and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's it's very important. Yeah, I mean certainly on, on a financial level and, and a risk level. I mean there's there's so many difficult bridges to cross. And, and mm. so um, yeah, I think it's important that the sort of uh, greater community has an understanding for that and sees some of the. the, the the difficulties, but also the incredible gains that can be can be accrued if you if if, if uh, you know our sort of company is successful. Yeah, we really can make a difference. You know, yeah. the, the way half the planet consumes energy is ridiculous. Mm. I mean, for want of a better word, is 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 insane. I mean, it would be so easy to make uh, people's lives so much better. Mm. And you know, getting back to the product, you know, a simple improvement like uh, a USB port uh, seems convenient, but more than that. People currently basically are forced to uh, have really cheap, simple function phones because mm-hmm. a lot of smartphones uh, require charging sure. uh, on a daily basis. Yep. And charging a phone is expensive. I mean, it can cost anywhere from between 50 cents to a US dollar mm-hmm. uh, in many situations. And sometimes it you know, take you two hours to walk to the next village and get it charged at someone's diesel generator or solar home system if yeah. you're lucky. Yep. And you know, if you can get some of the more you know, vulnerable communities in the world to suddenly have smartphone access, there's mm. a huge number of new opportunities that are generated right there. Yep. And so yeah, there's you know, to get back to your question, there's a lot of risk, but there's a lot of a lot of positives, mm. a lot of potential that, that can be okay. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's a lot of students listening right now who are who are getting inspired by perhaps starting up something like this. Is there any advice that you'd give to student designers, whether they're in design or uh, studying business or entrepreneurship or something else? You know, these are people who are perhaps really passionate about wanting to enter something that which is creating positive social impact. What advice would you give them if they are if they're looking to get into this area? Well, it's a little bit of a cliche, but I would absolutely recommend that they do something that they are passionate about. Mm. I, from experience, I can say that it makes life a lot easier. It makes difficult days a lot less difficult mm. if what you're doing is something you're actually really passionate about. You're not just doing it, say, for the money yeah. or yeah. just because you have to. The other thing would be to, to get amongst other people who, who are doing things like this. You know, Take out a few months um, to, to learn a bit. Uh, make sure that what you're planning to do does make business sense. That's you know it's our philosophy that these things go hand in hand, and mm-hmm. business success and development go hand in hand. Simply because if you have no business incentive, then you're unlikely to scale to a very large level. Yep. And, you know some of these problems in the world are so large that if you're not going to be a big company, mm-hmm. then you're not really going to change anything. Yeah. Um, so that's very important because I, I do hear a lot of uh, concepts that. I have serious question marks on whether there's going to be any business viability and then mm. maybe for a few years because you're super enthusiastic about it you can keep it going but once reality kicks in yep. and you actually you, know, you have a family or you actually really need money mm. then it becomes a liability to you. I think that's some, some excellent insight there. Uh, from an international level, are there any other universities or countries that you believe are really 
at the forefront of uh, the social innovation, social enterprise sector? That's a good question. In general, for, for social innovation, um, I'd have to think about it a bit further. I know specifically for our sector, uh, one of the universities that does a lot of work is, is Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Mm. Uh, they do a lot of work on, on, um, on household air pollution, but that's a very scientific field, so it's not really mm. an answer to your question. I think a lot of universities certainly have the ambition and there are programs within um, that, that foster this type yep. of uh, learning and it's something that we feel very strongly is, is, is an important part of a growing company is that you have relationships with, with universities. So yep. we do, I mean we have relationships with uh, two or three universities in the Netherlands. Um, you know, obviously we started a link with, with Santa Clara through yep. by virtue of being in that program. Yep. And in terms of in, in developing countries, we, we like to work with universities to find staff mm. um, because certainly on a, on a distribution sales uh, administrative level, we need people who are you know, ambitious, uh, mm. tech savvy yep. uh, and bright. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. So are there any projects that you have in the pipeline that you're particularly excited about that you'd like to share? I'm very excited getting back to an earlier thing about the potential of linking this product to smartphones. Mm. I think the benefits of having almost an Internet of Things type link with, with energy, household energy mm. for developing countries and, and you know, connect, collecting a lot of data, uh, there's a lot of potential there. Mm. Um, I won't go and bore you with the details on what we're looking to do, um, but that's where I think as a company we can really, really grow. And take this to a, a truly global level. It certainly sounds like there's some really exciting uh, projects coming in the future, so we'll keep our eyes out, Ruben. Thanks so much for your generous insights and time today. We really appreciate it, and we'd most certainly like to touch base in the future and, and see how it's all unfolding. My pleasure, and good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.